0: Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. The piping plover and the red knot. Do they sound powerful? Do you even know what they are? Do they sound like enough to thwart an international billionaire, whatever the number is for Elon Musk, quarter of a trillion dollars in net worth, and his rapidly expanding company SpaceX? Well, that's the question, because SpaceX is trying to expand their rocket testing site in South Texas, but that expansion is on hold after the National Fish and Wildlife Service has said, whoa, 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 we are concerned about the heat, the noise, the habitat disruption, and all of the impact that that would have on, you guessed it, the Piping Plover and the Red Knot, two coastal bird species, as well as some wild cats, but I think we can all acknowledge that if it only hurts the cats, nobody really cares. No hate mail, please, but you know it's true. But the birds you see, apparently increased activities by SpaceX at their Southern Texas facility, has been linked to a decrease in the Piping Plover population, and their proposed expansion would roughly cut in half the 900 acres of habitat for the sparrow-sized bird. Moreover, the Wintering Piper Plover population, say that again, I'm not going to, has decreased by more than half between 2018 and 2021. And they're not totally sure whether it's related to SpaceX, but it seems a little bit coincidental, and that's what they're looking at. Now, the SpaceX launch site expansion would include a solar farm, more launch pads, a power plant, and several other infrastructure upgrades necessary for launching the Starship Super Heavy Rocket, which is going to be about 400 feet tall and 30 feet in diameter. And it's a key element of Elon Musk's ambitions to make travel to the moon and Mars more feasible. But those pesky birds, and apparently the cats, are at least for now standing in the way. So the final environmental assessment of SpaceX's proposal is supposed to come out from the FAA on May 31st. If it delays much longer than that, Musk says, I don't know, man, I think we'll move to Florida. And on behalf of Florida, we'll take it. There's plenty of room at Canaveral for you, man. For just a moment, let's take a look at the sun without actually looking at the sun, because as I've told you before, we're in a fairly intense solar activity period right now. We've got a lot of sunspots, a lot of solar flares. It's kind of something we're paying attention to. Well, as we're watching all of that, again, don't look directly at it. You know, you've got to trust the scientists here. And remember, in order to understand sunspots and solar flares, you've got to think about the evaluative criteria. They talk about them being A- B, C, M, and X. It's kind of like the Richter scale where each letter is subdivided into 10 smaller categories and A's are 10 times B's and C's are therefore 100 times A's. So obviously X's are fairly strong. You know, the high end of the list. Not quite planet killer, but you know, you could have like total blackouts of everything on the earth for radio frequencies and so forth. So we're watching the sun. We've got some activity. We're paying attention to these sunspot areas. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, anywhere that we can see, we get an X-class solar flare on Tuesday morning. That's the strongest one. That's the one we're concerned about. And we don't know where it came from because it came from a part of the sun we can't see. As the sun turned, we discovered, oh, look, there it is. So we had a heretofore unknown region 3004 if you care that has been producing these really high volume solar flares. more flares in the M class remain likely the chance of X- class activity is still there because of the combined flare probabilities of that in region 3006 and remember if flares combine they can produce these you know funny amplifications of each other. so how worried should you be at this point? not that worried most likely and if something happens you won't know about it because the radio system would knocked out anyway. Now, from the, you're going to hope this isn't true because there's nothing you can do about it if it is file, do people treat you as if you are angry, aggressive, demanding? Like, when you first meet them, do you kind of get that reaction from people? Well, it could be you've got a wide face. Researchers in Australia set out to investigate something called the facial width to height ratio, Basically, the number here is you take the width of your face divided by the height of your face, and so larger numbers mean, you know, sort of more rounder, wider faces, and uh, smaller numbers mean you look like Matt Dillon. And here's why it matters. Facial width to height ratio is perceived in the community as a secondary sexual characteristic that indicates dominance, masculinity, threat, aggression. Going through passport photos and having people rank them based on whether they thought that person was friendly or that person was threatening and then comparing that to the facial width to height ratio, the researchers concluded that there is some evidence, although it's a bit difficult to establish firmly, that in general this perception holds. Although it changes based on age, because your face changes, also it changes based on gender. But the short takeaway is that if you have a squat face, you're going to be perceived as more aggressive, and if you have a taller face, you're going to be perceived as less aggressive or less of a threat. All this makes me think about is how will this affect dating apps? And I don't mean necessarily whether the AI in some dating app is going to figure out how aggressive people are going to think you are. I mean that people might say things like, I'm a single white male, 51 years old. I like physical activity and my facial width to height ratio is one8 Mm-hmm. Interested? By the way, there's no evidence that this number, this ratio, actually correlates to real behavior changes, which I kind of wonder about because if we have built in us this ability to determine and react to that perception, why would that be the case if there's no underlying basis? Speaking as a man with a very tall, narrow face, of course. And finally, if you're a student at a charter school in Baltimore, what does it take to get passing grades? Apparently very little. Quante Spearman, a junior at Connections, a community-based and arts-focused charter school, part of the Baltimore City public school system, got his report card and everything looked good. All passing grades, all five classes, including modern world history, Spanish, and physics, the latter of which got him a B minus grade. Now, he did struggle a little bit in algebra too. He got a D, but all of those grades are significantly better than he expected since he didn't attend school for the first 140 days of the year. He's got some physical disabilities. The school couldn't provide him with the kind of nursing assistance that he needed, so he wasn't in school. But that did not stop his teachers that he's never met and whose names he does not know from giving him passing grades. For classes that he has never attended, including, and perhaps this is the worst part of it all. The Algebra 2 D grade teacher wrote, he's a pleasure to teach and the quality of his work is improving. I mean, I'm just, look, if you're going to fake grades as a teacher and not know your students, I mean, at least don't write personal comments about the non-existent people. There may apparently be an issue here in that they needed certain accommodations and the school knew they couldn't provide them. And because they couldn't provide them, the school didn't want to give him bad grades. So they kind of fabricated this grade to represent, I don't know, it's, it's ridiculous. If you don't go to school, you don't get the grades. And after this was all discovered, there's some supplementary education services being provided to the family by the school to get him back on track, including some credit recovery, tutoring and other services. All I'm thinking at this point is, Do you really trust them to fix the mistake in this case? That's it for the daily break. Be sure to head over to newsweek.com for more on these stories and others, including our growing podcast lineup. And consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. While you're here, hit the five-star rating. I appreciate it. My wife appreciates it. My kids appreciate it. My boss. Seriously, hit the five-star rating or I'll keep listing off people. There you go. Thank you. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to the daily break brought to you by Newsweek.